Ah, screw it, I blew it. Well, today's a write-off, so I might as well. You know, I had donuts in the break room around lunchtime, so dinner is a write-off. Those are just bad self-talk habits. They're just a pattern that you notice that comes up and then you act on it in a certain predictable way. Friends, welcome to the second season of the Hard Bad Athletics Inside and Out podcast. I'm your host, Derek Batman, and I am super excited for you to hear from our brilliant guest this season. My guest today is Jen Broxterman. Jen is a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist. She's the founder of Prosper Nutrition Coaching, a world-class nutrition certification designed specifically for gym owners and coaches. She's also a foods and nutrition university professor, writer for Precision Nutrition, and the owner of her own private practice called Nutrition RX. She's worked with clients from NHL hockey players and Olympic athletes to everyday folks looking to eat and feel better. What makes Jen so amazing goes far beyond her world-class skill sets as a dietitian. Jen is a master communicator, a great storyteller, and someone who I believe can take complex topics and break them down into simple frameworks for everyone to understand. Jen had a major health scare in 2018 and has been on a quest to live her life to the absolute fullest ever since. I was blown away by Jen's story and her ability to get through adversity with a positive outlook, and I can't wait for you to feel that energy throughout the episode. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsor, Lucid Branding Solutions. If you're running a service-based business and looking to boost your profitability, you'll want to hear this. Lucid Branding Solutions is your go-to partner for transforming your business's online presence. They specialize in creating visually stunning media that's not just eye-catching, but tells the story of your brand in a compelling way. But that's not all. In today's digital world, having a strategy is key. Lucid Branding doesn't just throw ideas at the wall to see what sticks. They craft tailored digital media strategies that align with your business's goals, ensuring that your brand not only gets noticed, but remembered. And let's talk about leads. We all know how crucial they are. Lucid Branding optimizes lead nurture systems, ensuring that from the first point of contact, your potential customers are engaged, informed, and ready to take action. Plus, in a world driven by data, Lucid Branding Solutions stays ahead of the curve. They provide top-tier data insights, giving you a competitive edge and keeping your business at the forefront of your customers' minds. So if you're ready to take your service-based business to the next level with a branding strategy that's as smart as it is stylish, visit Lucid Branding Solutions today. That's www.lucidbrandingsolutions.com. Trust me, your brand deserves this kind of brilliance. Now let's get back to the show. Jen Broxerman, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Jen showed up majorly prepared. She's got multiple mics. She's got backup mics and headsets just in case. I cannot tell you how thankful I am from a host standpoint that you're ready to rock. Not my first rodeo, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, uh, you said you love going on podcasts and you've been doing it quite a bit recently. How long have you, would you say you've been going on to other people's podcasts? I think this might be around episode 50 or 60 at this point. So it's only been in the last three years that I've really embraced 
almost this idea of like public speaking online and just getting nutrition counseling out there to more people in a fun and gamified way. And I was like, well, if it's such a a success privately, I shouldn't hoard this knowledge. I should just start sharing it freely. And that kind of kicked off podcasts. And then it's also, if you want me to get into it, weirdly connected to my cancer recovery and an experience that happened inside my cancer recovery that felt like the universe gave me a nudge to start going on podcasts. I 1000% want to dive into that. But I want to cover some of the bases first before we get into that, um, because there's so much good stuff and you have such an amazing story. So I I really want to rewind the tape back a little bit and talk about what gave you a love for nutrition and dietetics in the first place. Oh, I love that question. So way back when I was a teenager, I was always sort of that athletic kid, you know, loved performing well in the field, soccer. And so that's when I very primitively started looking at like, if I eat well, that's going to support all the hard work I've put into training. And then there was this inflection point right around when I was 16 years old, and it actually happened on Canadian Thanksgiving and forever changed my family. So my father had a very serious heart attack. It's actually called the widow's maker, where he collapsed on the ice playing hockey. His friends rushed him to the emergency room because they couldn't wait for the ambulance to arrive. And we basically got the phone call of, you need to come to the hospital today. And basically, it was the call of like, come say goodbye to your dad. He's not going to make it. Now, the story actually has a happy ending. And my dad did pull through. And I don't know why my 16-year-old brain thought of this, but it was like, if my dad makes it and comes home, what can I do? What's in my little 16-year-old sense of control that I can help him survive? And instantly, I thought about food. And I was like, what can I do in my home environment to get more vegetables, healthy protein? You know, my dad was a really busy but high stress sort of stockbroker where he would like accidentally intermittent fast, like grab a cup of coffee, get out the door, go to work all day, barely eat, scarf home his dinner, and then snack all through the evening not the best nutrition habits, right? And so instantly I thought, is there something I can do to help my dad using food as like whole food medicine? And that's where my nerdiness really was found for my love of nutrition and helping other people use food to heal themselves. Now you go into pursuing uh, your degree in dietetics. Were you surprised by the coursework and the direction that uh, that dietetics degree kind of pursued? In other words, uh, obviously, a lot of it has to do with disease states rather than optimizing for performance or optimizing at all, for that matter. Um, Can you speak to to your experience uh, in school and out of school and uh, where how it has maybe shaped your worldview around nutrition? So I used to be very apologetic, and I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers. But what I went to school for absolutely doesn't apply to what I do as a dietitian today. School is all about nutrition policy, education. There's a lot of industry influence on what you're learning around the food guide. And then basically, it's just to manage extreme ends of the spectrum from a disease state. So I learned how to do renal disease, where we're recommending white bread and taking out potassium-rich fruits and veggies, which is appropriate for renal. Because again, if someone's on dialysis, those vitamins and minerals might kill them. But the amount of time we learned on obesity prevention behavior change psychology, and just supporting wellness through the life cycle spectrum was like less than 10% of my overall education. And so that kicked off me just starting to follow my own passion of how do I help upstream? How do I help before people have prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, the heart attacks, you know, the cancers that start to form? 
and using food as this form of medicine and self-care. And so that's where I got into mindset certification, behavior change psychology, and then ultimately it led me to creating my own certification for everything I wish I would have been taught when I was a student. So not to hate on the dietetics industry, but most registered dietitians are not trained in wellness. They're trained in disease management. Still an important sector of the population, but doesn't really meet the needs of the larger parts of society where we have much bigger problems going on with people's relationships with food. Yeah. It very heavily parallels the experience that I had uh, in the exercise science world. Right? So um, yeah, a lot of the same, a lot of the same talking points, same rodeo. Um, but you've, you've had a lot of experience as an athlete yourself. You competed in at CrossFit regionals for four years. You've also had a lot of experience in working with athletes from amateur to professional, but then you've also had a ton of experience in working with the average mom and pop. And you talked about how, you know, your experience with your dad and his heart attack is what maybe, uh, you know, invigorated you to start this, this whole journey from the very get. What are some of the similarities and differences that you see in not just the nutritional needs, but maybe some of the behaviors between athletes and the general public? Yeah. So I, I'm a coach that speaks a lot in metaphor. So I'm going to kick my answer off right with a visual metaphor. I want you to picture a ladder going from the ground to the sky. A really good coach can pick out where the person is along their journey up that ladder. Just like an exercise coach can pick out, are they a complete novice in how they move their body? And they just learn to need to learn the mechanics of a good body weight air squat, or are they already snatching with load, with precision? And we're not just going to start them with body weight air squats because that's an insult to their level and ability. So in nutrition coaching, just like exercise coaching, there are the fundamental basics, whether you're a professional NHL hockey player to a mom and pop stressed out and nibbling food off your kid's plate. And that is, are we meeting our body's needs for like getting enough vegetables, eating lean protein, drinking enough water, getting ourselves to bed on time? Um, I often call it the habit before the habit is can you choose a small bite-sized goal and then show up regularly with consistency and prove to yourself you have follow-through. Follow-through is the habit before any of the other habits. And it doesn't really matter what habit you start with. You just have to pick something and prove that you can break it down into your ability level and then practice that with consistency. And so on that ladder, I've got way, you know, beginners who are eating out three meals a day. They barely drink water. You know, sugar-filled beverages and caffeinated beverages and alcohol are kind of like what they sustain themselves on. And then a lot of ultra-processed food to the super elite nutrition clients that are eating whole foods, making everything from scratch themselves, you know, learn to regulate their hunger and fullness cues. And then I have every other human somewhere in between those extremes. And I think a good coach can see the ladder, spot what rung your client is on, and just help them assign homework and action and practices that are one or two rungs above where they currently are. But you can't give a beginner rung 80, and you don't want to give someone who's on rung 80 habit number 14. So I really, in my mind's eye, assessment is a really important piece of coaching at different abilities and levels. I think like any good exercise coach would agree. Now, I know you've uh, spent some time writing for Precision Nutrition, and I've put a number of my my coaches, including myself, uh, through that that program, and, and we absolutely loved it. But one of the framings that uh, your demonstration and metaphor reminded me of is how they break things down by levels. And one of the interesting points that I, I use quite often with clients of my own is that even for the athlete, 
if they get beyond level one, which are things like eating enough, uh, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, walking enough, right? The base, the base of the pyramid, even if they so choose to go beyond that into a level two, level three, whether it be for aesthetics or physique or be for, uh, for athletic performance, they at some point will just return to level one, right? That will always act as the base. And I think this is a really interesting point because People fail to see that like just because somebody may be weighing and measuring all of their food and thinking about things like nutrient timing, at the end of the day, when they're done this very short-lived athletic career, they are going to return to the same things that we would ask of the general public. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is completely true for food and for exercise. So if I think to my CrossFit regional years where I'm doing two-a-day workouts, doing really high-skill gymnastics at high volume, you know, multiple ring muscle-ups in a row, I'm now approaching 40 and guess what? I've taken it back a level to the basics where I lift those compound heavy movements. I get sweaty and out of breath, but maybe I don't do quite as much ballistic gymnastic loading because the basics will work forever. And so on the food perspective, you can get really technical and weigh and measure and like you said, nutrient time and think about all those complex factors, but then you throw kids into the mix or a demanding job or secondary job or a busy time growing a company, or just a stressful time in life, aging parents, whatever it might be, you can always drop back to the level one basics, and they are good enough. And it's not, I think sometimes people label nutrition as like, you're only allowed to continue up. But in fact, coming down a few rungs on the ladder, and just doing the basics well and consistently, you're winning at life, like that is truly good enough. And one of my favorite words, it's a word, but maybe I've made it up, is it called satisficing? What is the satisfactory, good enough place that you're like minimum effective dose? This is going to meet my needs without taking too much bandwidth and brain power and be okay to satisfice and a busy season of life or just that's your baseline. That's okay too. Yeah. And as life has seasonality, there are times for thriving and there's times yep. for surviving. Yeah. You know, I've got a, a six, a six month old on, on my hands and like, it is a time for surviving, you for know, sure. and it. And anyone that is a new parent knows knows that time of life all too well. Um, now, you know, one of the typical things that we see out of business owners is they start out in the trenches and working on these practices on themselves and people close to them. And then they get to a point where they're teaching others how to do it. And you are now in that place where you're coaching coaches. What are some of the mistakes that you see new coaches making with their nutrition clients? Oh, right off the bat, I think a newbie, a green coach rookie mistake is I call it fire hosing. It's where you information overload a new client. And I really reflected and thought about like, why do new coaches do that? And I'm going to raise my hand. I was a coach that used to do that. And I think it's a little bit of imposter syndrome and ego where you're afraid of being found out that maybe you don't know enough. So you need to impress your client and show them all the certification knowledge in your brain and you're ready to like dump it all over them. As I've gotten better as a coach, now as I've certified nutrition coaches, I often say beginners complicate experts simplify. And a really advanced expert coach knows to just lay out the next step or two. Think about it like coaching a snatch. I'm not going to give 10 instructions. I'm going to give the next one coaching cue that I want them to think about when they enter into that lift. A really good coach can break it down and just deliver the next simple instruction. So I would say that's probably the most common mistake I see a lot of rookie coaches do, um, amongst other things, right, is they go too fast through the program And in three months, they're like, 
I taught you everything. You have everything I know about nutrition delivered in a three-month package. I am out of material to talk to you about. So go do it, right? And you have to realize it's a journey. People are often paying for accountability and monitoring and support. And it's okay to drip it out a little bit slower and take longer. You don't have to rush through the information when you're working with someone. I love the point you made about how the imposter syndrome can play such a big role in that. Another one that I see um, is just the lack of assessment tools. So yes. when you are throwing everybody, everything at somebody, it's often because you actually don't have a genuine understanding of their starting point. Um, can you speak to the importance of having assessment tools and ways in which you may train coaches of how to assess where a client is right now? Oh my gosh, I have three questions I always begin with and they're so simple and then coaches can memorize them. So when they get nervous, this is your default. And I'm gonna make it as simple as a bullet point. Past, future, anything else. So let me do some role playing with you of what this script might look like. So when I sit down and work with a new client, I sort of set the expectation of how much time we have. So we have about an hour for today. Really excited to dive into it. This is gonna be you know, an experience. We're gonna be meeting multiple appointments But right off the bat, I want to make sure I give the floor to you and get you talking. Because the more I can learn about you, the more I can really individualize this experience. So right off the the jump, I just want to know kind of three key things. First, let's start with your past. What are the main things you think are most important for me to know more about you, especially around your exercise, your relationship with food and dieting history, um, any big life event that you've been through or are currently experiencing? Fill me in. So those are powerful words, fill me in. And I just say like, kick it off with your path. And then notice how I'm asking and inviting more personal information. And what's so amazing about starting with the past is they're gonna tell you what's relevant. So I used to have the clipboard approach. Do you drink alcohol? Who do you live with? Do you like to cook? It was like a bad job interview. I basically just peppered them with questions one after another after a number. And I'm like, look at me assessing. I'm being so client-centered. No, I overwhelmed them. So when I dialed it back to one question of fill me in on your path, you know, exercise, food, life events, other big things you think are important for me to know to get to know you better. And I just close my mouth and I listen. People will open up like books and go into their story. People have told me about their disordered eating. People have told me about abusive relationships. People have told me about miscarriages that caused them to go into a depression and stress eat for a year. I don't have a clipboard question to ask if you've miscarried three times in the last year and how that's showing up in your food. But if I ask you to go into your past, you're going to open those details. Yeah. One of the things that a lot, you see a lot of physical therapists um, and uh, coaches harp on is this biopsychosocial model. And that's great. And it it can absolutely be uh, amazing in its utility, but in order to be able to actually fill out a few of those sections being the psychological and the social aspects, like you have to get to know your client on a deeper level and you're not going to get there by the way of just spewing information at them. Nope. So what's so nice about the past is there's this natural break where they're like, I kind of think I told you the things I want to share. So then it leads to the transition question of cool. Now let's jump ahead six months to a year. Where would you love to see yourself? You know, what's going to make this a really successful experience for you? And how can I support you in getting there? And I want to, I'm going to quiz you. I want to see if you picked up something I omitted on purpose. There was a word I didn't ask that a lot of new coaches ask. So I'm like, where do you want to see yourself? Six months to a year, you know, what do you envision? 
What kind of support do you need from me? What's going to make this a win? What's going to make this a real success? Do you notice the word I didn't ask? Yes, goals. You got it. Why do you think I didn't say? I teach this in our certification. Why don't I say, what are your goals? In my estimation, it's because people are actually really bad at defining their goals when they're first getting started. Yeah. And you'll get basic one word answers that don't give you the depth of that human. I want to lose weight. I want to put on muscle. I want to have like, right. You'll get these very short, simple things. But when I say like, where would you love to see yourself? What's going to make this a huge successful win for you? And how do you need me to support you getting there? Then they paint me a picture. You know, I'm a mom that's just delivered a baby nine months ago, but I'm still feeling, you know, uncomfortable in my clothes. I want to make sure that I'm introducing my child to food in a way that they have a healthy relationship because I told you I dieted through college and had like bulimia for a while, da, 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 right? They might give those details. And so I just want to be in a healthy place with my own clothes, with my own relationship with food. I've got this little one. And you know what would be really helpful? Family-friendly meal so I don't feel like a short-order cook where I'm taking care of myself, but my family gets to come along for this journey. So when I ask a question like that, those are the types of rich answers I get. But when I say, okay, let's look ahead. What are your goals? I'm going to get weight loss. And then what do I have to go off of that? That that almost doesn't mean anything because I want to understand, well, what does weight loss mean to you? Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's an important framing and anything you can do to get the client to talk more and think more themselves, the better the answer you're going to get. 100%. And then that leads us to our third and final opening question for assessment. Is there anything else? Is there anything else around the past or anything else looking ahead that maybe I missed? So for example, if you've got a Disney cruise coming up and that's going to impact the work we're doing together with your nutrition, I should probably know that. Or maybe you're an accountant and your busy season of work is coming up. Or you've got a kitchen reno where you're going to be without, you know, kitchen counters for four weeks. So yeah, is there anything else we missed? And why I like the anything else is it's a good catch-all, especially for people that need a little bit of time warming up and building that rapport. It gives them a second chance to come around and reveal something more personal, more private that they want the coach to be let in on. Or it could just be situational where there's something coming up in their life that's going to impact, you know, their ability to follow through with consistency. And now I have a, um, I have a head start on molding the plan around their life circumstances. There's a question that I have for you uh, based on all of this. It has to do with time horizon. So while we know as coaches that the real work gets done in building the systems and making the decisions and changing the daily, uh, you know, habits and behaviors mm-hmm. on a on, on a micro level, day to day and week to week. But how much or how what, what kind of importance do you place on the ability of a client to to think in longer time horizons? Yeah, we constantly anchor six months to a year. So you might have noticed I placed a subtle anchor when I asked about the future is that I'm letting them know that this isn't going to be like one or two appointments and you're fixed. I'm going to at least be your road trip buddy, minimum six months to a year, if not longer, because I want them when they get in those little divots and they start to feel down, they can zoom out and see that I often, again, use a metaphor when I talk to clients. I'm like, think of this, like we're going to climb a mountain. I have a mountain behind me. And I'm going to be your mountain guide. I'm going to be your Sherpa. I'm going to help you get to the top of your mountain. This is a mountain that's going to take some months for us to climb together. There's many right sides to go up the mountain. If you want to go up the mountain, the vegan side, cool. I've helped plant-based eaters get to their top. We'll go up the vegan side. You want to go up doing some intermittent fasting? Cool. We can do that too. Ah, you want to try that where it's extreme juice fasting? That side's a little more treacherous and tends to cause people to slip back down in a rock slide. 
can I suggest that maybe we try a path I know that's a little more, you know, worn and true and easy to get to the top. But of course, I'll take your feedback if you want to make a detour and go up a different side. So that time horizon is I anchor it to the metaphor of a mountain and I have them define their peak of the mountain. So I know where it is we're trying to plant our flag and we're going to march up that mountain together. And so when they picture it like a journey where they have a guide, they know that there's many right ways, they know that that mountain is not going to be a one hour appointment and they're there. So I use a lot of visual metaphors to help anchor their expectations and then use that as a reframe when maybe they're in the dark, like the darker moments or like the down in the dumps part of any behavior change journey. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love uh, that metaphor of using the mountain and then also yeah. kind of including apathy in there. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that I, I tell people all the time is like, there's going to be moments where you're tired of this or you <laughs> feel like it's not working or you're frustrated by somebody else's success and results. That you have to expect those, right? But you can lean on me or on us at those points. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Uh, the other metaphor I often give, and it, it like like a mountain, but the opposite, is I teach right off the bat something called the iceberg of success. So we actually have this drawn out in our new client handbook, and it's a five-layer iceberg. So the very tippy top is willpower, and you'll see why it's the smallest in the second. Right below that is knowledge. So like what you know about nutrition, the knowledge I'm going to share with you. But really, those are the most insignificant parts of behavior change. And then below the water, as we go deeper, we have our daily and weekly habits. We have our environment. And then the bottom layer is our mindset. So I actually say when people try to change their habits by themselves, they go top down. I just need to learn about this on the internet and use willpower and follow the diet rules. And so they're stuck on this hamster wheel of, Willpower knowledge, willpower knowledge, willpower knowledge. But as we go deeper, I coach bottom up. We do a lot with mindset, self-talk, resiliency. When the going gets tough, how are you going to show up for yourself? Then we make sure that they build a supportive environment around them. And I actually break environment into three levels. It is your physical environment, like fridge, freezer, pantry, time where you spend space. It is your social environment. Who do you surround yourself with? And it's your online environment. What do you look at? What do you listen to? What are you following? Are you following like diet culture crap? Or are you following engaging podcasts where you can learn something and then go apply it to your life and get a little bit better? And then, of course, that feeds and supports those good daily, weekly habits. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that framing uh, of the importance of looking at the the bulk of the iceberg under the water. And I think, you know, to just throw this in there, like, it's also the part that no one else gets to see. Right. It's right? all the invisible it is work. Yeah. It's the work you're doing inside yourself. Yeah. Can you speak more to uh, the importance of mindset? I think this is a term that gets thrown around a lot, but people don't necessarily understand its application in something like changing their behaviors around nutrition. How is mindset so powerful? Oh, good question. Okay. So I want to just drop some of my favorite coach to client bombs. So if you're listening, I want you to take away from this podcast your own self-talk. Put it through a, put it through a mirror and we're going to sweep out some cobwebs. So first, we're going to look at some of the self-sabotaging phrases and really what they are is they're just habits. Let me give some examples of some negative self-talk habits. Ah, oh, screw it. I blew it. Well, today's a write-off, so I might as well. You know, I had donuts in the break room around lunchtime, so dinner is a write-off. I'll start Monday. I'll start after the holidays. I'll start once work settles down. So this delay to the future slash screw it 
those are just bad self-talk habits. They're just a pattern that you notice that comes up and then you act on it in a certain predictable way. But here's another one that's really subtle and slippery. I deserve it. So many people justify, I deserve it. Like I've been going to the gym. I've been working hard. I've had a long day at work. I deserve that glass of wine. I deserve the takeout dinner. No, you deserve to be fit and healthy. You deserve to be rewarded for all your hard work with fitness, with food, with sleep, with self-care. You deserve to have abundant energy. So yeah, you do deserve something, but let's not reward ourselves through food or through alcohol. Do you just need a weekend away from screens? Do you need a little vacation? Do you need an extra hour or two of sleep? Do you need someone to you know, babysit the six-month-old and go on date night? What do you deserve without self-soothing with food? So those are some of the subtle, not-so-good mindsets. Uh, but we can also was, do the flip side of the coin. Yeah, jump in. I saw that you were going to think. Yeah, really quick. Yeah, really quickly. I was just thinking about how the irony of that moment when you're saying "I deserve X" or "I deserve Y" is how we know dopamine behaves in the body. In other words, you feel deserving of that thing until you actually have it, and then you no longer feel deserving. You feel like crap. Right. right. It's, it's when once we get it, it's over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like the honeymoon phase is over with. And now we're kicking ourselves for having it. Exactly. So then what I always kind of give this Canadian example. We always learn this when we're driving as teenagers. Look where you want to go. So if you hit a patch of black ice and you stare at a telephone pole, your car's crashing into that telephone pole. So on our journey of better self-care and nutrition, what so much of diet culture does is it talks about what not to do don't drink, don't do sugar, da, 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 and it's no, no, no. No-based coaching isn't actually that effective. So what is? We call it approach-based coaching. What do you want to drive your car towards? Not what do you want to sideswipe and avoid? So the flip side of mindset, what are the self-talk phrases? How do you want to show up in those hard moments? Is One of my favorite phrases is do the best you can where you are with what you have. Okay, you're at an airport, your flight just got delayed, you've been stuck with bags for six hours and a crying newborn. What's the best you can do where you are with what you have for food and exercise in the reality of that moment? Um, another one of my favorite phrases is better is better, forward is forward. And it helps people find the small rungs, the small wins up their personal ladder. Um, so we're just kind of looking at not only the self-sabotaging phrases, and then my other favorite one, I had this framed in a room in our counseling office, is we just have the three words, be curious, be kind, be honest. And so it's starting off with not a judgmental bully voice, but just get really curious. Huh, I'm noticing this pattern. Okay, it's just a pattern. It's evidence telling us information. I'm not failing, but I have to pay attention to the feedback that I'm getting. Ah, oh, when I go to work and I don't pack a lunch, I can't stop you know, snacking on Sally's break room big treats because Sally brings them in every Friday. Right. It's really important I pack food because otherwise I'm super tempted or whatever the case might be. So we're noticing and we're naming with curiosity. We're examining it with kindness. So a little page out of Brene Brown, shame does not support behavior change. So we have to put shame down because it never inspires someone to be better. It actually sets off more of a shame spiral where we do more of the bad behavior then bury our head in, our, in the sand and feel awful. And then we promise a better future with willpower, but it doesn't come to fruition. But then we need honesty. We need to be honest with ourselves, with kindness, what's working, what's not working, 
And then we get to work inside that environment and our good habits of like, what needs some nurturing? What needs some tending to so we can strengthen our environment to support ourselves? Yeah. Now, here's a question for you. So you mentioned the importance of the social environment. What do you do for recommendations for clients that you know are in a suboptimal environment where a lot of the this negative self-talk is present around them every mm. single day? Well, I never believe in playing the victim, especially post-cancer, like no pity parties. No, I'm so sorry for you. Your you know, home environment isn't the most supportive. You always have agency to find like-minded people. Is it that you need to join a gym where the behavior you want is normalized? Do you want to ask your neighbor to be your walking buddy every Saturday or Sunday? There are so many positive online health groups that you can connect with anyone in the world if you have an internet connection and, you know, go find like-minded people to lift you up. You can talk to your dog and take your dog out for a walk. So it's always a matter of just where can you find people behaving and thinking and speaking in the way you want and go hang out with those people. And it might mean you have to maybe not necessarily cut off but reduce your exposure to the people in your life that maybe are those naysayers or those negative forces. That's a great answer. Now you've, you've spoken about your diagnosis with cancer now multiple times from like a before and after framing that experience of getting diagnosed with cancer at a very young age and being told that you basically need to get your will and estates in order over the next six months, you're not going to make it out of this thing. How did that reshape your mindset and your worldview? Oh, I, I'm going to get emotional with this question because obviously it's the biggest thing I've ever had to overcome in my life. So a week after I turned 34, I was like at my prime with CrossFit, competing at regionals, lean, fit, strong, a dietitian who eats well. You get the worst news of your life, which is you have cancer. There's not a lot of time. It's really bad. And so I actually did a mindset exercise the night before my surgery. Um, backtrack a little bit. It would have been about five years of feeling off and just no one would believe me. I felt like I was losing my mind because I was made to feel like a hypocrite, but I knew my body and something was off. And when push came to shove, I ultimately found the piece of paperwork that would have spared me a lot of body parts. When I was 29, I had an abnormal PAP result as some females do. I did all the proper follow-up testing. No one read the report. And so it said negative for cervical cancer cancer cells detected, need to rule out uterine or ovarian cancer. And five years later, I had advanced stage three ovarian cancer. So I had a strong genetic family history that I also didn't know about. My relatives just said they had a woman's cancer, but wouldn't openly talk about it. So for years, I was trying to say like, something feels off, but I don't know what. And because that report was missed, you know, it, it really caused things to be much more advanced. So that's kind of the backstory of like, how did a young 34 year old end up with like cancer? If she says she eats so well and does all these things, it was sort of a, a crap storm of unfortunate uh, events. But anyways, I wasn't going to say poor me and I wasn't going to play the victim. So the night before surgery, I drew a teacup and the teacup exercise is something I've coached many times with my own nutrition clients. Little did I know I was preparing to save my own life. And the story of the teacup is if someone comes along and bumps you, and coffee goes flying out of your cup, why did you spill the coffee? Well, because someone bumped me. No, it's because you chose to put coffee in your cup. Had you put tea in your cup, tea would have come flying out. So life is going to rattle you. Whatever you put in the cup is what's going to come out. So at night, the day before surgery, I drew a blank teacup. And I was like, I have 
no idea what this what's in store. I just know things are going to get bumpy for the next little bit. How do I want to show up through cancer? So I wrote resilient, love, joy, positive, hardworking, um, courageous. And my overarching word was unstoppable. I knew I was going to do whatever it took and I was going to be unstoppable. And the doctor looked at me post-surgery. And again, that was the whole like, get your will and affairs in order. You have about six months to a year left to live. Um, only 8% of people with your kind of cancer will live, be here five years from now. And I'm so proud of myself. I looked the oncologist in the eye and I was like, someone has to be in the 8%. Why not me? So next month is my five-year anniversary. That's such an amazing story. Yeah. Oh, that almost makes me emotional. <laughs> Pretty um, wild. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, and, and it hits me too because I'm now, I'm 34. You know, and, and the thought of that is, is just unbelievable. But, you know, the fact that you were so courageous and so brave through that process and were able to frame it in such a positive light, you know, I don't know if you've always been this uplifting and positive or if that experience kind of launched you into a new, uh, you know, stratosphere of those things. But, um, you know, you, you can feel it and, and you have an energy about you when you uh, talk about these things. Um, and I'm sure, you know, much of it is just who you are, but that experience probably lifted you in ways that you, you, you can't fabricate. No, I think I was always a really like positive and a good coach. And then going through the, I call them cancer goggles. Now that I have forever permanent cancer goggles, it's so clear what's important. And it's so clear what's trivial and a waste of energy and just like negative shame or judgment spirals that don't actually benefit you or anyone else. And so maybe I can go back to a comment I made at the very start of the podcast of like, why do I now go on podcast and talk about this? So weirdly, through my cancer treatment, um, I wasn't overly into Reiki before I got cancer, but someone reached out and they're like, I would love to gift you a Reiki treatment if, if you find that beneficial. And I was like, you know what? Why not? Like my intuition is like, give it a try. And as I was going through Reiki treatment, this feeling started to happen. My, my throat started to vibrate. Like literally my voice box was vibrating, but I was lying on the table, not speaking. And this voice just kept popping into my head. And all I could hear was, you're done playing small. You are ready to step on a bigger stage and go share this with everyone. And I loved being a nutrition coach. I was so good one-on-one -on -one with my nutrition clients, but only my clients and I knew the transformation they were getting from the mindset, the iceberg of success, all of that stuff. And the cancer was the push to start to document how I coach my clients and how I teach my team and how I was like training and onboarding my team to sort of replicate myself. And accidentally, but through divine intervention, that became my Prosper Nutrition certification because I was like, I can't die with this in me. Like, if I go, this is what I have to gift the world because there is a better way to coach nutrition and behavior change that isn't finger wagging, you know, shaming diet culture. I just have to give this, give this freely to the world. And so I started getting on podcasts and talking about this kind of stuff. So that, that realization was basically your inflection point when your businesses really started to take off. Cause you, you're the founder of nutrition RX, but also prosper nutrition coaching. Right. Um, and would you say that that was the, the inflection point? hundred percent. So nutrition RX only existed up to that point. And that's my little private practice. I had a team of one, maybe two nutrition coaches for me. Then I just exploded to this whole big team as we, you know, we have like 70, 80 nutrition appointments a week now. Like it's just wild and awesome and super successful. But then Prosper, the certification company, came out of 
training coaches to be able to train, like to be able to coach like we do. And that's where that second company was born out of a happy accident because of cancer. You put in uh, your, your intake form about just how much you love things like hiking, you're getting into motorcycle racing. Yes. Do you have a new, do you have a newfound love for uh, adventure and danger? Oh my gosh. I wouldn't say that. I take calculated risks, but yeah. One of the things is similar to a client developing a new skill, you have to have hope and you have to have something like a bright, shiny future. So one detail I left out talking about cancer is they crushed my femoral nerve in surgery. So I woke up with my right leg partly paralyzed. I couldn't wiggle my toe. I couldn't move my leg. I actually couldn't walk for about four months. So I had to start with one of those tall walkers and then go to a lower walker. And then I had a cane for a long time. And that just kind of added insult to injury post-cancer surgery, right? As I wake up, you know, huge abdominal incision and they're like, oops, sorry, we crushed your nerve and you can't walk anymore either. And they told me it was going to be six months to a year. If I didn't die in the first six months to a year, that's how long it was also going to take me to learn how to walk again. And so what I decided to do is I was like, I'm going to set a really rad goal. I'm going to learn how to surf and I'm going to learn how to ride a motorcycle. And I'm going to go take a trip to Dufino, BC, and we're going to ride motorcycles and go surfing. And I kid you not, seven months from my cancer and like surgery date, I am like riding a wave in Tofino, surfing on my own two feet, riding motorcycles. And I was just actually telling a friend this earlier today. I love the, uh, the phrase, I don't have that skill yet. I don't think anything is unachievable. You just have to build up different skills. And I just use the phrase, I don't have that skill yet. And then I go figure out where I can learn that skill. I mean, it's such a great way to go about moving forward in life um, because it just puts you in the driver's seat of recognizing that you can problem solve your way through just about anything. Um, and if it's yeah. something that you you really want to achieve, the skill sets are available, right? And and the fact that anybody has learned them should be evidence that you can learn them. 100%. Now, what are some of your favorite hikes that you've gone on over the last couple of years? Oh my years? gosh. So we like to do like the more remote and weird and less people, the better. So we've done the West Coast Trail, which is up Vancouver Island, where you're like climbing the ladders and you are out there. Like if you fall off a cliff, you are a like couple days away from a first aid helicopter, you know, lift back, which is great. We've also done the east coast of Canada, which is the rugged part of Newfoundland. Um, in that first year, I also went and decided to hike the Alps. So I hiked Mont Blanc on the Swiss, the French, and the Italian side. That was so cool. And we actually just booked to go hike the Dolomites uh, next summer. And I'm trying to think, I just, anywhere I can. Like if you, if you drop me off anywhere in the woods, anywhere in the world, I'm like, let's put on my hiking shoes and let's just go. I have some entrepreneur friends in Scottsdale, Arizona, so hiking Camelback Mountain and, you know, some of those really cool desert hikes are really fun too. But I just, I will never take walking for granted ever again. And every morning I wake up and the first thought I have is like, yay, I get another day. I'm so lucky. And even just I stop and like am appreciative when I'm out walking my dog that I still have my ability to walk or I got my ability to walk back. So the basic things that we're so lucky to have, when you lose them, you're so grateful to have them come back. I, I can only imagine. Well, one of the questions I want to I want to ask and wrap up with you is, I find it interesting when experts talk about their own experiences with 
whatever it is that they, they, they're experts in. So for instance, what do your nutrition habits look like and how does nutrition now serve you being removed some degree from athletics, but also clearly still performance based in, in some ways, how does he, like, do you have a nutrition coach or do you write all of your own nutrition? Yeah. So I don't actively have a coach at this time, but I have had different, you know, physical activity coaches and nutrition coaches in my past. Truly, I walk the talk of what I teach my own clients. So simplicity, first and foremost, I follow the healthy plate where it's like a whole handful of veggie, two to three meals of the day, a big palm-sized piece of protein, ideally those nature carbohydrates, right? Brown rice and sweet potatoes and, you know, things like that. Um, treats in moderation. So to me, nothing is off limits. I just reflect on, you know, the quality, the quantity and goals. So is this a high quality food? Is this the right portion size or quantity? Really recognizing my appetite cues for hunger and fullness, fullness. And does this move me towards the direction of my goals? I'm a huge believer in having your environment set you up for success. So if you were to open my fridge, you'd see a veggie bucket, you know, front and center with chopped up, you know, ready to go vegetables. If you pulled open my freezer drawer, I have healthy homemade, you know, meals put aside so I can easily have them for lunches. Um, I go to the gym, you know, every morning. I walk my dog and go hiking constantly. So I just do the basics really, really well. And I don't make it more complicated than that. Because for me, if I'm going to be really real and vulnerable, that time around my dad's um, heart attack, I did struggle with disordered eating. I did take food. Uh, as many dietitians, that's like, you know, the, the joke is old as time. But that was a time that I didn't have a lot of control over my dad's well-being. So food was something I really used to control, something I could control at that time. So I've learned that if I get too rigid with weighing and measuring and tracking, it can sometimes pull me off that cliff. Or if I just do the basics really well and I keep a joyful, positive relationship, then I'm mentally happy, I'm physically healthy, and I have a great relationship with food. It's like it's a friend that's coming along this journey with me, but it doesn't control. Yeah, yeah. it's such a such a refreshing take. Um, for somebody that obviously has such a high degree of knowledge in this field to, to, you know, always just resort back to the basics. hundred well, percent. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for jumping on. You, you provided so many useful tools, not just for people looking to uh, rework their own nutrition or maybe that just want to find a good solid base for themselves, but also for coaches that are looking to create a career for themselves and, and have the tools necessary to be able to help the most people that they possibly can. Um, there's so much packed in here. I know I'm going to want to definitely have you on again. Uh, we could absolutely talk for an hour and a half today, um, but I yeah. know we both have stuff to, to run to. So um, tell everybody where they can learn a little bit more about what you do and some of your courses. Perfect. Well, my thing is I just want to gift the community better nutrition coaching. So I have a completely free thing that is called Liftoff. It's my little mini nutrition masterclass. If you go to prospernutritioncoaching.com slash liftoff, it is a completely filmed, analogy packed, full of resource, free mini course. Probably should charge for it, but I just wanted to put that out there for the coaching community to just dabble with more evidence-based, habit-based nutrition coaching. And then for those that want to take the plunge and get certified, um, we offer that three times a year through prospernutritioncoaching.com. And that is our flagship certification with mentoring. So we can work on your nutrition coaching skills and just help you level up. And then that's where I give away my entire private practice system of how we do nutrition coaching. So all of that's on prospernc.com. 
That's phenomenal. Well, Jen, I've taken so much and learned so much from you in this podcast. And, and I'll say it again, you're such a positive and uplifting person. And uh, this has been a, a, a joyous conversation. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. I genuinely appreciate this conversation. You're such a joyous person to talk to, um, and I'm excited to connect with you again in the future. Thanks, Derek. This was a ton of fun. Bye, guys. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.